0: Welcome to Story Geometry, the podcast with insights on the craft and community of writing. I'm your host, Ben Hess. This is episode four, our first look at the business of writing.
1: We don't get caught up in all the rhetoric of the uh, self-publishing versus traditional publishing, or this is legitimate and that's a dinosaur model or whatever. That's, that's all nonsense.
0: This is nonfiction literary agent Gordon Warnock of Fuse Literary Agency. We chatted at a manuscript boot camp held by my season one partner, literary nonprofit, Writing by Writers.
1: I can represent the types of books that I identify with and that I can enjoy reading and really put a lot of my effort into and and the books that I I read on a regular basis and know. That's one of the great things about the business is it's not about getting an agent, it's about getting the right agent for your specific work. And when that happens, when you find a match, it's, it's amazing. I was wondering
0: about your first major sale and, and who, who that was, what that was, and if you could just go back in time and tell us about that.
1: I sold a few projects early on, um, a cookbook, a business book, and, and various other things like that. Um, the first one that really stuck out in my mind, though, it, it came a little while in. Um, it's called The Real Emotional Girl by Tanya Chernoff, and it's one of my um, favorite projects that I've worked on this debut memoir that was was gorgeous and literary and very striking. And it took the author about, um, well, it was about 11 years from when she started writing the book to when it got published. We um, When it came to me, it needed a bit of work, but I could tell the language was, was just amazing. And so I worked with her to edit for about a year on that. I can only imagine how
0: much relief Tanya felt
1: to have Gordon in her camp. Once we had that all good to go, and then I, I sent it out and got these glowing rejections of this is amazing, but I I can't get it past the editorial board or, you know, marketing doesn't think that this is um, this is a a big enough book and so forth. And so with getting those reactions over the next two years, it was a tough situation. I ended up meeting with the author um, face to face. She lives in Seattle and uh, I was in town for a conference that weekend. And so I went up a little bit early and and talked to her. And and basically, um, you know, we had the talk, quote unquote,
0: What a roller coaster. It's like getting a taste of the promised published land only to have delay after delay.
1: It's like, okay, this is coming to its end and I'm going to work on it for maybe a few more weeks and then we're gonna scrap it and maybe try something else. At that conference that weekend, I ended up meeting the editor who bought the book editor fell in love with it. She was really ultimately the best possible person for that book.
0: After all that effort, how did it feel when the conference is happening and you finally get this glowing approval from the editor?
1: It never gets old. I mean, that's one of those things where the ups and downs are experienced just as well as, as, um, as the authors do. Uh, we feel rejections like the authors do. We actually get rejected a lot more than authors do because we pitch multiple projects for multiple authors. And so we're used to being told no a lot. And when we're told yes, it feels just as good.
0: Now, to be clear, Tanya had short pieces published before, some poetry and an essay. But for Emotional Girl to take as long as it did to sell...
1: I've donated so much time into that specific book and, you know, tweaked every little thing in the manuscript and just made it as good as it could possibly be. And then um, went through the whole rigorous pitching process and, and meeting people face to face and and emails and phones and all the rest of it. I spent so many hours on that. And then when it finally went, it was just like this big relief. And I, I knew it was, it was, you know, this was something that when I first saw it in its rough stage, I knew it had to be a book. And then for that to finally happen was glorious. It was amazing.
0: What a dream, right? To have an agent fighting for your book, week after week, month after month? I'm not there yet. The hard copy of my work-in-progress novel mocks me from the corner of my office and my hard drive slowly fills with short fiction and essay drafts. I save stories with final and the file name, only to replace them days or weeks later after another read or new comments, more tinkering on pace or plot or description. The age-old question, while continuing to improve our craft to yield a more captivating story, whether fiction or nonfiction, poetry or prose, how does an unpublished writer not only get an agent, but get the right agent, as Gordon says?
1: There's this whole ecosystem of um, writing and publishing and writers of all different levels and types, and and we need all of that. We need to cultivate everyone's art and everyone's voice and giving them an outlet, whether it's my arena with um, traditional publishing and major publishing or um, self-publishing or independent publishing or university publishing or any of the number outlets that are out there. And that expands to um, conferences as well. Where you have um, like the big major pitch fests, where you go and you're among five hundred of your closest friends, and you're sitting down for three minutes at a time talking to probably a dozen agents over the you know the course of a day or two, um, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have those like like writing by writers and um, a few of the others that I'm doing later in the year that are more craft focused and they're going to take the time to, um, to meet with each individual person and talk about their specific needs and where they need to go with their own work to grow as writers. And it's less of an industry focus. It's less of a, this is your big chance and this is going to make or break your career, which is, you know, nonsense. It's more hands on. And my, my consultations here, first of all, they're longer. They're like 20 minutes instead of three minutes. And, we're talking about their um, their samples and what needs to be done, and ways that they can improve as a writer. And it's not okay. Try and convince me that I should, you know, take on your work.
0: Maybe this is a, a novice question, but just for clarity, is that typically the path where if you get an editor on board? then they can champion it internally with with marketing with the editorial board or is it someone else in the publishing house that you're trying to pitch and and ultimately give a green light
1: for most major publishers that agents work with the uh, decision is by committee where yes you pitch it to an acquisitions editor and they're going to be the advocate for the book. Um, from the moment they receive the manuscript to, you know, throughout the life of the book, yes, it does take enthusiasm from an acquisitions editor. And at some of the independent presses, sometimes that's enough. But at the uh, the big corporate houses, you need to convince, you know, literally every other department from foreign rights to audio to, you know, everyone else who could you know have a hand in the life of this book at a certain extent, they will have to sign off on it as a good decision. And they'll do calculations and, you know, all sorts of things before they end up signing the book.
0: Or said less diplomatically.
2: Publishing has always been in disarray. It's a stupid business from a business model perspective.
0: This is Jay Schaefer, former New Yorker, former attorney, and former editorial director at Chronicle Books, where he launched their mystery and literary lists. Jay's now a San Francisco-based independent editor and writer.
2: A lot of people were worried that the novel was as dead in the 1950s, so stories of the demise of publishing have been going on for half a century, if not longer. What's happened today is that there are fewer publishers, but more opportunities for people to publish. With uh, self-publishing having been become respectable and the rise of more self-publishers, uh, I, I remain uh, cautiously pessimistic about the future of publishing.
0: I love that phrase, cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> so kind of dovetail off that uh, we, we were coming out of a Hachette-Amazon battle. Uh, what What's your perspective on?
2: I think Amazon has done wonderful things, and the internet has done wonderful things, to make books available anywhere to anyone who wants them. Publishing has always had bad guys. When I started at Chronicle Books, Chronicle in particular was aimed at independent bookstores. And the theory at Chronicle was, get the books into the stores and they'll sell themselves. And a lot of publishing was hand-selling by clerks in bookstores to the customers. When Barnes and Noble came along, they were the bad guys because they were the big chain stores that were driving out the independents. Uh, Zoom ahead 20 years and now Barnes and Noble is the good guy and everyone's rooting for Barnes and Noble and Amazon is perceived by many to be the bad guy. So access to the books ha- has changed the the face of publishing. And that's a tremendous thing. I'm not so keen on the demise of, of independent bookstores. I think that the the issue now is it's easy to publish. It's hard to find an audience for your book. I think the, the problem for self-publishers in particular is they can get a, a good-looking version of their book out there, either in print or print-on-demand or an e-book, but how are they going to bring readers to it? So that's become the big issue today. And unfortunately, publishers don't do as much to promote the books as people would think, even if you go with a big publisher a lot of the responsibility for for promoting the book falls to the author. So the the people who are in the toughest shape uh, are writers who just like to write and not become publishers or not become promotion machines for their book.
0: But in the five and a half centuries since Gutenberg introduced mechanical movable type with his printing press, when have writers ever been able to just write We've always scraped and scrapped and struggled financially to create, publish, and distribute our stories. Even geniuses of the craft, such as Oscar Wilde and Herman Melville, died destitute and disillusioned. Contemporary naturalist, creative nonfiction writer, and memoirist Gary Ferguson knows the game quite well, having published 23 books, 23. We chatted on a spring morning in Boulder, Colorado. Of the many wonderful things i gleaned from the carry home when you write about the past and even present day professional writing is a hustle there's query letters there's pitches there and you wrote about being at different campsites and traveling around the country and, and having to pop by the mail and mail things off and just that that ongoing treadmill of pursuit of work and i'm just wondering as a professional writer is that the game is that is that what you would advise aspiring writers to kind of focus on or do you or the business side of it or is it more about the creativity creativity and the craft
3: you really have to pay attention to both because you have to have something worth selling but to imagine for a moment that what you produce creatively and artistically doesn't find itself subjected to the same rules of commerce that everything else does is to is to delude yourself and so I think there's some piece in just going in knowing that there's going to be that sort of hustle. The other, I guess, good news is if you believe in the story you've written and you think that other people would somehow find a, a way into it and, and would be perhaps served by it, then you go through the hustle and you go through the marketing and all the other stuff, the social media, in order to allow that to happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's the belief in what you've done that keeps the energy going for, for the selling of it. But you seem to have rolled with the times and adapted to
0: our self-promotional social media era and i'm just wondering you know what your perspective is on on today's technology and these these different avenues that people are using to
3: share and to promote i think there are so many options out there that yes we're all overwhelmed and so that has resulted in a tendency for each person who has anything to sell to shout and i really don't like that particular approach however the equivalent of word of mouth uh... that that used to happen to sell a lot of books happens now in in a social media context facebook is our word of mouth so i think it's a it's a kind of an double-edged sword mm-hmm. there's a lot to be gained from being literate with the social media and there's also the temptation of spending so much of your time <laughs> on social media talking about what you've done that you right. no longer create anything to have something to talk about.
0: You mentioned Facebook by name. Is that the main uh, channel? or, or I, mean, I know you're active on Twitter as well. Or are there other services that you find uh, beneficial either creatively or, or business-wise?
3: Now for me, it's Facebook and Twitter. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there are you know, lots of other options that other authors are exploring. Um, certainly to go into a virtual community like Goodreads mm-hmm. has been a great thing. Uh, Amazon is continuing to push. Amazon actually owns Goodreads right, now. Right. But Amazon continues to offer new ways for people to come together around books and share words of them book clubs tend to exist um not only in in real life real time real place but virtually as well and so for every negative and overwhelming aspect of that social media i continue to think that there are advantages it's a matter of learning to separate the wheat from the chaff and we're all struggling to do that at
0: this point what is your perspective on on the traditional publishing world versus the self-publishing world and the we spoke a little bit about e-readers versus traditional books uh we're in a shift, and I'm wondering if, you know, your comments on, kind of, you know, the shift that we're currently li- living through.
3: Financially, for authors, e-book deals are much less, I almost said fair, but I'll say <laughs> lucrative. Uh, most authors make about mm, a third, a quarter to a third as much as they make on an actual book on an e-book, which is odd because there's no cost of production for an e-book. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I, I do think that people are always going to be hungry for story. And those who produce good stories and figure out the system by which to get them into the hands of the people who need them and want them will will survive in one form or another. I think audiobooks is a is another area that's exploding right now. And so, you know, as, a, as an author, I can really get upset and overly anxious about these shifts and these changes and authors aren't particularly good at being ahead of the curve technologically but the other option is do i still believe in the stories i'm writing do i still believe there are people who need and want them and if so then i sort of owe my profession and i owe my readers um the willingness and the ability to figure out these systems of delivery
4: i just tend not to think about the economics of it
0: writing my writer is co-founder teacher and award-winning writer P.M. Houston, author of contents may have shifted.
4: For me, there's one equation, and it's: I write a book, and I want it to be good enough that it sells enough copies that I'm allowed to write another book. And I don't think about whether I'm making 79 cents or a dollar 29. I, I honestly don't think about any of that. You know, my books in the world go out there they get me invited to teach in Chamonix they allowed for the creation of writing by writers they got me hired at UC Davis so they're the reason I have health insurance you know I I don't think about the nickels and dimes of it ever I just don't it's not useful to me to think that way so for me and ebooks I've never actually read one I've I've held one of those machines in my hand, but n- n- not for more than a half a second. Um, I- I'm not interested in them. But if they make it so people are reading that who wouldn't read otherwise, or they're reading better stuff because they don't have to settle for what's in the grocery store, well, that's OK with me. You know. I- Um, I I do know that many people download my books on e-readers. I have signed e-readers for people with a silver pen. (laughs) I'm not anti-e-reader. I thought I might get used to it because I have some back trouble and I'm always hauling you know 15 pounds of books, but I haven't. I've just decided that the back trouble is worth getting to read words on paper instead of words on a screen. So I'm not interested in them, but I'm not against them.
0: I wrapped each interview with a question intended to elicit a rapid-fire, stream-of-consciousness response. Where do you like to write?
4: I like writing in airports. I know that sounds crazy, but it was the first thing that came to me. There's this idea that you're anonymous and that there is nothing else pressing on you. So, ideal writing situation, plane gets canceled for six hours.
0: Editor Jay Schaefer
2: a quiet place i am unable to write or edit with any music or noise or and i cannot work in cafes or restaurants so any place that is really quiet is good for me geographically i love point reyes i i've been coming here for years before the con, the conference and um, some place overlooking the hills where it's quiet sounds good to me
1: Gordon Warnock. I like working outdoors really. And it's one of those things where if, um, if I can have a connection to Wi-Fi or even cell reception, then I could work pretty much anywhere. And that's the nature of the business these days is I, I don't need to go to an office in New York to be able to be a literary agent. And I just, I like being, um, I, I like being out in nature too. So I'll usually, you know, at, at least, you know, if I'm, if I'm home, I'll, I'll work out on the patio or, or on the deck or what have you. Award-winning
0: fiction writer with his short story collection, Volt,
1: Alan Heathcock. I've owned a
0: 1967 Roadrunner travel trailer, and I ride in it. Gary Ferguson. On the creek bank behind my house. And I've struggled with this as I'm often in front of a screen for hours and hours a day, either writing, editing video or audio or retouching photos, and I'm often alone. So I typically write in the company of strangers at coffee shops or libraries with headphones on, an alternative rock Pandora channel screaming, and the room's ambient energy rooting me on. That's our first story geometry look at the business of writing. This episode was produced and edited by yours truly, Ben Hess, at Ben Hess on Twitter. Our theme music is from Mark Hodgkin and special thanks to Gordon Warnock, Jay Schaefer, Gary Ferguson, Alan Heathcock, and Pam Houston for their perspectives on the business of writing. Reminder to explore all the amazing upcoming Writing by Writers events and workshops on writingxwriters.org. And let's help others find this show. Just rate, review, and iTunes. Share with at least one literary friend and we are good. Until then... May story ideas flow and bloom into a draft and have that draft grow into a manuscript ready to sell. Thanks for listening.